Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Okay, so we have a lot to go through um, today. So as you know, I was going through uh, conflict, how we deal with conflict. Those were the first three weeks. Um, has, was everybody here for that? Okay, so some people are shaking their head no. All right, so I'll try to give a little bit of a recap just so that you're not feeling lost today, but I am going to stick primarily with my notes, uh, hopefully, because there is so much to get through because I want to wrap it up uh, today. And um, again, Matt, Mason, everyone else that's out, uh, prayers are with you. Come back safe, all right? Okay, so the last few weeks, um, oh, also... I have to ask for forgiveness ahead of time because I'm not very technologically savvy, so I was copying and pasting and trying to put it in the PowerPoint format, and so you're going to see some random funky spacing and various things, so, and uh, also, I make an outline. It gives me the things that I want to say and speak from, so you might find something in there. Maybe it looks like an incomplete thought to you, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> those are my notes that maybe weren't supposed to make it in the PowerPoint. All right, so the first week we discussed various examples of conflict, um, and then I kind of set the stage for why we're even discussing conflict. Why are we talking about conflict? Well, I think that a lot of times um, Christians are kind of looked at as, even, even looked at by themselves, uh, who are Christians, think, well, gosh, we shouldn't really just be in conflict, really. I mean, we need to be peacemakers, right? We've heard that before, which I'm going to address that today. But we went through several examples in the first week um, about conflict from a biblical perspective, that conflict actually is in the Bible. And the greatest example of this is, so a lot of times people will think, well, it's like, man, if I'm just in the presence of God, there won't be any conflict. Well, Satan was in the presence of God, and he decided to try and overthrow him. So there is conflict whether we like it or not. There is friction, there are tribulations that we are promised as Christ followers, so we will have conflict, we will go through conflict, yeah? So the first week we discussed uh, some examples in scripture, and this is not uh, an exhaustive list, but God and Satan, God and man, Cain and Abel, Joseph and his brothers, Abraham and Lot, the quarrel between the shepherds, Moses and Pharaoh, Moses and the children of Israel rebelling against he and Aaron, Korah leading people to rebel against Moses and Aaron. God swallowed them up with the earth, which I think is pretty cool. Not if you're Korah. But uh, Saul and David, Jesus and the culture, Jesus and Peter, Pilate and the people, Paul and Peter, Paul and Barnabas. I never know how to pronounce these two uh, names correctly, so, you know, it it is what it is. But Yodia and Syntek, these were two women that were in the church of Corinth that Paul actually was trying to say, hey, all of you be of one mind, but they had a conflict. They were in the church serving, and then Paul and the Corinthian church. There's two books, that the letters to the Corinthian church 
uh, basically Paul going, stop doing the things that you're doing. And that's kind of, that's not an easy conversation to have with someone. Maybe you've been in that situation and you can relate. That's not an easy place to be. So that was the first week. Second week, we talked about how we don't understand conflict or how to deal with it appropriately unless we are constituted with Christ. What does that mean, constituted with Christ? Now, if you heard my message, um, I I don't know, it was probably over a year ago about the parts of man, uh, how we're made up, and we've got the soul, which is the mind, emotion, and will. We've also got the spirit, which is made up of the conscious, fellowship, and intuition. Um, So basically, when when we're born in the sinful, fallen world, we, our spirit is dead until it becomes reborn and alive when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, all right? But then at that point, that is how we live out the fruit of the Spirit because of that transformation process. Titus talks about the Holy Spirit actually regenerating our human spirit, and that's what it means to be changed from the inside out, that it literally spreads into all the other faculties of our being, and so we live out Christ, which is what Paul was talking about, for me to live is Christ, not I want to be like Christ, I'm living out Christ because it's not Paul. See, I don't want to be a better version of Chris Burkle. Chris Burkle is sinful. Chris Burkle is a mess. Anyone that's close to me will tell you, (laughs) all right? I make lots of mistakes, all right? I don't want to be a better version of myself, okay? I want that to be burned away. I want that to be replaced with the goodness of who God is transforming me every day by being in his word, amen? All right, so that is constituted with Christ. That's what that means. Because of the parts of man, our soul is made up, and I talked about that, but I, like I said, I get off, and uh, you hanging with me, Aaron? You good back there? It's like, where is he at in the notes? Um, okay, so if we're living by the flesh and not the spirit, There is pride, ego, pessimism, apathy, dishonesty, selfishness, arrogance, manipulation, etc., right? Because we battle a sinful flesh that has to be burned away and transformed in the likeness of him. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us and let the ship rudder guide the rest of the ship, okay? All right, so that was the second week. Third week, we continued on what the Bible says about conflict, not being led by our emotions, So I have been trying to, with much failure, removing feel, I feel like, removing that from my vocabulary just because, and it's not bad if you say I feel like, that's fine, but I've been trying to remove that from my vocabulary just because it's kind of like, it's just something, it's like, oh, I feel like, or I feel like this, and it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what we feel because our feelings are part of the soul, which should be in submission to the Holy Spirit as he is changing us and guiding us. So actually, we should be in control of our emotions as we live out Christ. You guys see that? Okay, so we do not want to be governed by our feelings. Anybody know people that are governed? (laughs) Don't look and elbow somebody next to you. All right, so... um, but not being led by our emotions. Yudia and Syntec, I mentioned those, the, those two ladies earlier, Paul telling them to be of one mind. So let the, the third week, we also continued to discuss the importance, and I've been talking about this with the youth, about fellowship, the importance of fellowship and the unity of the faith. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, so, and the unity of the faith. You see, what is the point of all of this and us coming together in the corporate assembly and us being transformed? 
It's the unity of the faith so we, we can be in fellowship together, sharpening each other, growing towards one mission, which is a being like Christ. That's why we gather. That's why we're in the corporate assembly. It's to be encouraged and grow. That's what we want to do. That's what we need to do. We're not meant to live life alone. See, if we try to live life alone and we act kind of, you know, which, which I will say for me, for guys, it's easy when we're going through a hard time, we kind of like seclude ourselves and go, you know, that's when kind of our, our flesh really is at its peak and we think, ah, oh, we can handle this. We're guys. You know, we, we don't need anybody. And that's just what the enemy is wanting to take us out. Just at the point where we think that we won't be taken out, we, we are. Pride comes before the fall, right? So we talked about the purpose of fellowship, the purpose of the unity of the faith. And it pains me because really that's how different denominations are formed. See, somebody in a denomination read something in the scripture and said, we're going to be about this. We think this. And they became the church of the East. And then the church of the West goes, no, we don't actually believe that. We think the verse says something else. And then here we are. And we're divided. What do you think Satan wants to do? Divide us. So why are we talking about conflict? Because we can't let the enemy divide us. That's the whole purpose of how we deal with conflict. It's not for a feel-good self-help message, just come to another Sunday and go, oh, yeah, I feel like I know how to con deal with conflict. And then by Wednesday, you forgot everything that was said on Sunday, right? I mean, I'm talking to myself here, too. But that's the purpose of the unity of the faith. That's the purpose of being in fellowship, for us to be of one mind, because Satan knows he's already defeated, but he thinks he's not. He thinks he's not. He thinks that if he can continue to divide, he thinks he can thwart or usurp God's plan for you and I. Now, we already know the ending of the story, amen? Okay? But along the way, man, what a force we would be reckoned with if we were all in unity of the faith. Yeah? Okay. So that was the third week. So today, we are going to be talking about a lot of things. Uh, so we're hoping to wrap up today. Um, and so the last group that I want to talk to talk about before we uh, get into some practical concepts of how we deal with conflict um, is uh, peacemakers. Okay, I mentioned that in the beginning. It's like, well, what is a peacemaker? Aren't we supposed to be peacemakers? Well, call me crazy, but I believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority and everything that we need to find how to navigate through this life in various topics or however we need to live, we find it in the authority, which is God's word. Crazy concept, right? But that's what we do. How do you reconcile your faith with a certain thing? Well, you got to go back to the word, see what the word says about it. See, if you, if you and I feel about something that doesn't go along with the word, we have... This is, I'm sorry for the noise this is creating, but this is just driving me nuts, this microphone. Um, we have to throw it out. We have to throw it out. Because anything that we're thinking, feeling, experiencing, and God does want us to experience things, but anything that we're feeling, thinking, or experiencing that goes against Scripture, it doesn't matter what you think, feel, or experience. Right? Okay. Thank you for that first. It's, it's getting quiet, but I can count on my first row until they get spit on. Okay. All right, so peacemaker is not the can we all just get along. There is a strength in that, don't misunderstand, but there is, truth, there is truth in that as we discussed before, but Satan comes as an angel of light, 
and demons as agents of righteousness, which I've talked about in previous messages. So he wraps an element of truth in deception. You guys realize that? See, if the enemy came in just, you know, pitchfork and horns, <laughs> we would recognize it and we would be able to resist pretty easily, I would imagine. But he doesn't come like that. He comes as an angel of light. Because we as humans, we're attracted to pretty things. We're attracted to beauty, okay? <clears throat> I heard this quote once and I thought it was great. I don't know who said it, but beauty is the battlefield upon which the, the souls of humanity is won or lost. Beauty, okay? He comes as an angel of light, and that's how he does it. See, if you had a glass of water and you put a little color, food coloring in it, it would change the entire coloring of the glass, right? It's hard to discern where the truth and the lie starts and stops. That's what he does. He's a master at twisting. He did it all the way back in the garden, right? He's a master at twisting it. You and I, with our minds, cannot see where it starts and stops. The only way that we can see is through the Holy Spirit's discernment. That's the only way that we can see where the lie starts and stops. And how, do we, how are we led? By the Spirit. Being in his word every single day, right? Okay. So he wraps an element of truth and deception. Peacemaker in the world has become some, someone that perhaps doesn't ruffle any feathers. They say things like, well, can't we all just get along? Accept me and everyone for who we are and, and, and who they are. And let's not talk about politics or religion or parenting or any of these things. People have become so sensitive. Where, has, where have we gone when we can't talk about these things so that we can sharpen each other? We have to be able to speak into each other's lives. And if you think that I'm doing something that's incorrect and, I, and you're somebody that I, that I love that's part of the body and we have, a, we have fellowship, why can't you come to me and say, man, I don't know about that. Like, why do you do that? Now, we could talk about and debate the semantics of how you go about doing that, but I'm saying, why can't we go to each other and talk about these hard issues? We've become a society of pansies. I mean, why can't we? We have to be able to go to each other and sharpen each other. Sharpening each other is not something that feels good. It's friction. That's how you make a fine point or make a blade. Friction. So it doesn't always feel good. It's funny, I'm looking at Chad. He was, he was so excited about teaching a message to the youth, and Matt and I were sitting on either side of him one day after Bible study. He's laughing. We were sitting out on the couch after Bible study, and boy, me and Matt were just going at it. <laughs> and he's in, the, he's in the middle. He's excited about showing us this message. And then after a while, he just goes <laughs> and closes his laptop lid. <laughs> That's funny. But we, I value that. I love Matt. I love the ability for us to wrestle and to challenge. And Randy's smiling back there. It's not always comfortable, right, Randy? It's not always comfortable for the people that are around us. But it's so great because we always come out of the other side and go, man, let's go there together and see what the word of God says about this. That's what we need. We need the ability to sharpen each other and not get so offended. By the way, 
you may know someone, and it's further in my notes, but this is appropriate time, I think, to say this, that if you are someone or know someone that walks around that's constantly offended, the problem is you or them. Because you're choosing to pick up that offense. That's a choice. You know, when people walk around and go, oh, man, that was really offensive. Do you know that most of the times that I can see in Scripture talking about offense, it's talking about being a stumbling block to someone else? That's the offense that Matthew 18 is talking about. That's why Jesus said, woe to them who leads my children astray. To be a stumbling block, that's the word that means offense. But the people that are offended go, well, it's because of the way that you talk to me. That's not what it's talking about in Scripture. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that this is a license that you can just go blast people and say whatever you want, and it's like, well, don't take offense, jerk. It's like, what? That, you can't do that, all right? That's not what I'm saying here, but what I am saying is let's be people that are less offended because what does that do to the body? Divides us, right? We got to get rid of all the things that are going to divide us. Now, if you are offended, you need to go talk to that person and work it out, which we're going to talk about much later here. But the peacemaker gets involved and tries to bring it down or quiet the topic. Again, there is some strength in that. But if it stifles, and, and hear me here, if it stifles the conversation so much so that there can't be a conversation to dig in and grow, the iron sharpening iron that I was talking about, the actual problem and growth is missed. If we can't have a conversation and someone comes in and says, hey, guys, guys, hey, let's not talk about that. I don't want that ruffle any feathers. We don't want right? If the peacemaker comes in to stifle that, then what's lost? What's not gained? You guys with me? See, the problem isn't the controversial topic itself, because that would infer that there's some things we just can't talk about as, as human beings. That's not what the Bible says. The problem isn't the contra controversial topic itself, it's that we aren't able to discuss it and grow from it and sharpen each other. You guys see that? Matthew 5, 9 the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The Greek word translated peacemaker is something I can't pronounce. Um, but it's transliterated into iropanoios, okay? <clears throat> which means a loving peace. All right, so then we start to break down. So here we go into the word and say, well, then what is a peacemaker? So as the, if the world has hijacked that and said, you know, this is what a peacemaker is, then, then what, what's the alternative? How do we know that that's true when we match it up to the word of God? So we're defining what a peacemaker is here. What is a loving peace? How does the Bible define love? Ultimately, it is a peace that brings us all closer to the Lord. That's what peacemaker does, brings everyone closer to the Lord. Well, you see a theme here with fellowship, the unity of the faith, the peacemaker, Okay. So contextually, peacemakers, according to verse 9, are the sons of God because like God, they pursue reconciliation with others. 
just as God has extended himself to reconcile people to himself. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4, so we look at then, okay, well, what is loving peace? We have to understand what the, how the Bible defines love and also how the Bible des- defines peace, right, for us to understand what loving peace is. So we can look in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 to start giving us an idea of what the Bible says about love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek, it, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But here's what love is not. It's not what society has hijacked as love, meaning tolerance or accept accept me for who I am. Tolerance is actually not liking what you're doing. See, we turn on the news, right, and it's a lot of tail wagging the dog. Less than 3% of the population are the loudest voice. I wish that would change. Man, we pray about it in Bible study, and Lord, (laughs) come back. Um, But, you know, tolerance, it's, I don't tolerate if you're giving a gift to your child on their birthday. That's not something I tolerate. I tolerate if you decide to go do something that you shouldn't do, if you are doing something you shouldn't do, or if it's something that I just don't like, I tolerate that. You guys see what I'm saying? That's actually the definition of tolerance, me not liking or you not liking what someone is doing. That's not what the society has defined as tolerance, is it? Again, Satan hijacking our words even and blending truth with something that sounds pretty. Like, you know, I remember talking to somebody a, a few years ago, and he, had, he was dealing with an affair, and uh, he said, man, I, I just got entangled. Got entangled? You sinned. Like, what do you mean you got entangled? That sounds so nice. That sounds so pretty. Right? And you can go back to some sermons that I did in the past where I start talking about words and um, the meaning there. No wonder my iPad wasn't working right. It's upside down. So, um, so tolerance uh, is not actually like me liking what you're doing, so I tolerate it. Accepts me for who I am? We've talked about this. The person at the drive-thru at McDonald's accepts you for who you are. Like, that's not somebody who I want as a friend. I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and I said, thank you for being on my board of directors, and he kind of looked at me. Because people that are sitting on my board of directors, they don't know that they're on my board of directors. (laughs) It's my personal board of directors. It's the people that I go to that will speak into my life, and they will challenge me. And I'm so thankful for Matt. He challenges me every day. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love Matt. You know that. All right. Um. So it is not the everyone just get along. That's actually a false piece. That's a false piece. So this is the only, the only place, the only other place I would say in the New Testament that's in a slightly different form when we look at what a peacemaker is, uh, Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So it's, it's the Lord, he's the ultimate peacemaker, reconciling us to him. 
That's the other place where we see peacemaker. Jesus laid down his life to make peace between God and sinners, and when we can carry that message of peace to others, we are peacemakers. And God delights in those who reconcile others to himself. Those who bring the gospel are beautiful. You say beautiful? Yeah. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, God reigns. That's beautiful. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. See, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Because we're not just talking about conflict, like validating conflict. I'm not validating conflict. It's just there because we are sinful beings. It's part of our flesh. We are not, we are not in, the, in the glorification phase yet. We are still imperfect. I said at the beginning, I make mistakes, and I know you do too. And that's how we can sharpen each other to grow in the unity of the faith. See, does this start making sense? So I'm not validating conflict. I'm just saying that conflict will happen, and what do we do when it does? That's what this is about. Because we have to know how to achieve and, and handle conflict because we have to fight because we're brothers, we're sisters. We're a band of brothers and sisters. We lock arms, we're in a fight together. And if you really believe that you're in a war as I do, then how do we not let the enemy get through our lines? We have to lock arms. We have to be in the word. We have to be in the armor of God. Why do you think there's a war against God's word from the beginning of time? Because that's our weapon. And he knows it. And if you have a dull blade and you go into war, or you don't even have a sword at all, how many would like to just go into battle that way? <laughs> yeah, it's like, don't have a weapon, but here I go. Like, that's not very smart. But we get caught up in the distractions of this world, and it's like, man. And that's how we grieve the Holy Spirit when the Bible's sitting over on the, on the, on the coffee table and we, we've done all these other things today or, yet, or tomorrow, whatever it is, and not opened up the word of God and spent time with him. That's how we grieve the Holy Spirit. We have to be in the word. <clears throat> so those who bring reconciliation to broken relationships are carrying, carrying on the work of Jesus. The prince of peace, those who give of themselves as Jesus did in order that others may know God are called blessed. There is no real peace apart from the relationship with God. And we all understand that, right? There's no real peace without God. There's no peace without Jesus. It should break your heart. It breaks my heart for people that are trying to get through this world and they don't know the Lord. We have to know him, but just to know him and that's it? No. We have to make him known. We have to make him known. And if you're not praying, I would encourage you to pray every time that you're in the word, Lord, put me in an opportunity where I can make you known. Put me in a position where I can share my testimony of the goodness of God and what you've done in my life. That's what it's about. Romans 5.1, therefore have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, what you need to start understanding is what may masquerade as worldly peace is merely a temporary lull in chaos. What may masquerade as worldly peace is merely temporary lull in chaos. Go back to the situation that I was telling you about. Two people are having conflict and the worldly idea of a peacemaker comes in. Guys, guys, let's just, you know. uh." What was lost or not gained? You think that that's, now think about the next party that you go to or the birthday party or whatever and it's like there's kind of this awkward thing right there, right? Because it was never fully resolved. We're told to stuff it. We're told time heals. That's not a biblical principle, by the way. There is a season or a time to heal, but time does not heal. All it does is it settles the, the ripple effect, the boil of the emotions. But waiting for the next conflict, there's a scab that just gets picked off in the next conflict and actually makes bigger fester, right? If you have a scab, you pull off the scab, doesn't it make it worse? It doesn't heal correctly? What may masquerade as worldly peace is merely a temporary lull in chaos. Don't let the enemy hijack what what a peacemaker is. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I world gives, do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. True peace is found only in a restored relationship with God. Amen? Only children of God can bring the peace of knowing God to others. A person must have a real relationship with God before he or she can help someone else know God. And I've said before, our job is to know him and make him known, which is Jesus' prayer. If you ever wonder where I get that from, where I talk about knowing him and making him known, it's the most intimate prayer that Jesus prays in John 17. Father, that they would know you as I do. Those who witness for Christ, Christ share their faith with their friends and serve others in the name of Christ are the ambassadors for peace. Those who bring the wonderful message of God's peace to the world are peacemakers and Jesus calls them the children of God. Peacemakers bring truth and work to reconcile for the unity of the faith. That's what peacemakers do. Peace sees a conflict and helps usher peace, bringing the two into the unity of one faith, moving and running towards the Lord, which is the unity of the faith. Is this making sense? Okay, so we've addressed peacemaker. We've talked a lot about, I mean, I could go on on these, these things for quite a while, as some of you probably know, but... What I want you to do when I bring up these examples above, you know, the, the 14 examples of conflict that I ch- kind of recapped at the beginning, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go to him. Like these are things that you should seek out and look at for yourself. Unity of the faith and the fellowship, look up those Bible verses. Um, I, I believe there's 19 or so Bible verses on the unity of the faith and fellowship and the purpose of it and the need for it. Study the word for yourself and all those things, as I just mentioned, and hear the voice of the Lord guide you. And also studying Peacemaker. Like you take these things and get back into the word and see what it says to you so that you know how to apply it to your life. 
And that's the best, example, best advice that I could give you is get into the word because I will tell you, and you've heard me say this multiple times, if you're gaining Christ's nature, you shouldn't have to tell me to go and do anything. I just live it out. The example I gave last time was if you took the dog nature out of the dog and put it into the cat, what would the cat start doing? Barking. If you took the cat nature out of the cat and you put it into the dog, you wouldn't have to tell the dog to meow like a cat. See, that's what's happening when we're gaining Christ's nature. You shouldn't have to be told what to do. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were acting it out, but it wasn't from an inward change. It wasn't from a regeneration standpoint. They can't live out the fruit of the Spirit because they weren't gaining Christ's nature. That's how we do it. And I firmly believe that I shouldn't have to give you action steps, shouldn't have to tell you what to do, just get in the Word. And I've told you this before, I've had meetings with friends of mine over lunch, they're going through a hard time, and I'm like, man, are you in the Word? And they're like, I know what you're going to say. Okay, well then, can I just tell you that? And then we can go. <laughs> and it's like, then, then what else? There's, there, it, there is no other answer. Man, it's something that's so complicated and so simple all in the same thing, right? It's like, why do, do we resist to even get into the word? Well, I'll tell you why. Because we have a sinful flesh, and the sinful flesh opposes things of God. But if I tell you, just get in the word every day, you're like, man, that sounds so simple. Okay, well, how consistent have you been over the last three years in the Word? It's simple, but not so easy, is it? <laughs> right? But I will tell you, I miss a couple days, and I feel off. And I'm acting off. My kids now, to the, they'll be like, Dad, have you been in the Word? <laughs> it's, that's how we are as a family. I mean, it's like, you know, bring everything into the light. When Schaefer was four years old, and I remember a time that I was raising my voice, and <clears throat> I was going through a really hard time. <clears throat> my temper was getting out of control. I'm a passionate person anyway. But I knew I did not want to be that example for my kids. So my son, four years old with his little cute lisp, I went to him and I said, buddy, you know I shouldn't be talking to mom like this, right? And he goes, yeah. I said, I don't know why it's hard sometimes, but it is. And if you'll have the courage, I need you to come tell me. In, the, in that moment, I need you to come tell me. Dad, you think you should be talking to mom like that? True story. So I remember one time yelling at Casey, really mad. Hayden comes up, Schaefer comes up. There was to, Hayden looks at me and she stops. <laughs> Schaefer kept walking comes up to me, tugs me on my shirt, Dad. I looked down at him and he said, you think you should be talking to mom that way? <laughs> no kidding, I looked at him and I started laughing. And I got down on my knees and I got in eye to eye with him and I said, buddy, thank you 
thank you for having the courage to do that to me when I was in that moment. See, if we think that our kids are not picking up certain things, you're wrong. More is caught than taught. And if you think that you're the parents and we're just, you know, kids should be seen and not heard, that's what I grew up in. You're missing out on the intimacy that can be created and bringing things into the light so that they grow up as the mature people on fire for God as they are today. I got off my notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. So here's where we start talking about how to resolve conflict, okay? <clears throat> the apology. And I, this is what I was talking about. Like, so that, what I was saying is be, be in the word, and, and you'll change anyway. But as I've, I've talked to Matt and Randy, and, you know, there's no perfect church. There's no perfect people, Right? It's messy because all of us are sinful individuals. And so we've had, as a leadership team, we've had some challenges that we've had to address in the church, right? I know that's probably shocked some of you, but there are some things that come up. And they've seen me handle conflict through this time. And so Randy is, has been, a lot of times, some of my biggest champions. She's like, you need, to, you need to talk about it. And I'm, not, I'm typically not one to give action steps, but uh, trying to be, uh, in submission and obedient to my pastor and his wife, I'm going to try and give you some action steps today, okay? So let's talk about the apology versus the false apology. <clears throat> Most of us hate to have to do it. It's hard to admit when we were wrong and even harder to ask someone to forgive us, especially if the other person was partly to blame. But apologizing is part of seeking humility, and humility is a character quality that God hold, holds in high esteem. James 4.10, humble, your, humble, your, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Apologizing humbles us by reminding us that we are not perfect and we need forgiveness from God and from other people. But, for those of you maybe who weren't uncomfortable yet, just wait. Our, idea, our ideas about apologizing might not be sufficient. Even adults can act like children whose mother just told them, well, shake your hands and say sorry. Many times simply saying, I'm sorry, is not a full apology because it does not take into account the level of wrong done. There are times when we accidentally bump into someone or say something we shouldn't, and these little errors done without evil intent are easy to apologize for with an I'm sorry, right? In a story, you bump into somebody, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, right? Those are, those are easy. But when we have truly wronged someone, that person needs us to validate the pain that we caused. A real apology sounds something more like this. I was wrong to fill in the blank. I know that I hurt you and I'm sorry that I did, would you please forgive me? How can I make this right? See, sorry isn't even a biblical term. I've actually done research on where sorry has come from. You know, when my dad died, it was very difficult for me because he was my best friend, but it was, man, I'm so sorry for your loss. 
that's the right application. You're sorry for a situation. And you can be sorry for the situation if you get into an argument with your spouse or a parent or something, or a child, something like that. But that's not reconciliation. How are we reconciled to God? Through shed blood and what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. See, it's not about needing to that, for that person to bestow their amazing forgiveness on me and on you. That's not what it's about. It's a point of humility because if you have a hard enough time saying sorry, try adding, will you forgive me right after it? Will you forgive me? In my house, it's not an apology unless they're asking for forgiveness. Because it's a point of humility before them that they've wronged someone else and you're asking to be forgiven to have that reconciliation because my model is what the Lord did for us. Does this make sense? And what I also, uh, kind of gets me a little bit fired up, I heard it yesterday actually, Schaefer and I were talking to somebody and um, we were in a conversation and they're like, yeah, and I was telling them about kind of these things, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's like when, or, or, you know, like, I'm sorry that you felt this way. I'm like, what? That's not an apology. I'm sorry that you felt that way? Like, I'm sorry that you did this? I'm sorry that you got your feelings hurt? That's not an apology. I'm going to go back to my notes before I really start going here. <laughs> So when should you seek reconciliation and what should be overlooked? Number one, if there is sin involved, and by the way, I, well, um, so I don't know what's in my notes and what's not, so just take notes. Okay. Um, if there is sin involved, like somebody living unrepentant sin or something like that, then there needs to be some reconciliation. There needs to be a conversation there. This is when you should seek reconciliation. If there isn't sin involved, but there could be anything that could cause an issue that either could turn to sin or break fellowship or affect the fellowship, keep everything clear and in the light because Satan will use anything. He will use anything and everything to, to cause division, right? Just keep it into the light. That's how you avoid dissension and division. Keep it all in the light. Okay, I'm going to give this example. Um, so we had someone in the church that there was, there was someone else that was young in the faith and was, um, is a dear, dear person in the Lord, but had said something and, and was getting some information from someone else, and this person got really upset at us as a leadership, leadership team that we didn't bring down the hammer on this person, calling this individual a false teacher. Well, they got mad that we didn't do anything about it, supposedly, and then they left. They left the church. Well, first of all, that wasn't handled correctly. There was never any kind of conversation Never anything for unity of the faith. Never anything that was going to resolve. And the easiest thing to do is complain and leave. 
I get that. But this was a situation where fellowship was broken, and now, I, I don't know about you, but I have not been a part of a church where the word of God is taught every single week after week after week like I have at New City. You think the enemy would want anyone to be here? No. Waiting for division, waiting for things to happen, to break fellowship. And what's so sad is this individual told me that they, they look around and, and they have broken relationships with everyone. But it's our fart, uh, fart. <laughs> I'm even bending over. <laughs> Oh, boy. But it's our fault for not bringing down the hammer. So this was my response. I said, okay, let me, let me think about this. If my two oldest, Hayden and Schaefer, get on to Afton, who is my youngest, and they are so mad at something that she did as, a, as an 11-year-old, and then she comes to me and say, they both come to me and they say, Dad, can you believe her? Look at her, what she's done. This is unacceptable. You need to get on to her. Then I'm going to look at both of them and I'm going to say, thank you for illuminating an issue in your hearts that we need to deal with. Because they need to impart this wisdom to the 11-year-old and bring everything to the light as we're all moving in the unity of the faith together towards Christ. This is why we have to have reconciliation because the alternative is divisive. And again, I don't yell because I'm angry. I'm just a passionate person, and so don't please, please don't mistake my volume for just, <laughs> Roger's laughing. But it just, it pains me to see this, to see the division. It should upset you. <clears throat> so if it can be overlooked, what could be overlooked? So I, I think I mentioned, you know, like, people that talk with their mouth open. All right, so what? If it can be overlooked, then overlook it. I'm not saying you got to go start talking, having conversations, go, really, you know, we need to make everything a big deal now and, like, just talk. I'm not saying that. It's scriptural. If something can be overlooked, then overlook it. But if it can't, don't let it fester. Go and talk to the person. Have a conversation. I've said this several times. Roger says, conflict is good. Right? That's the exact quote, right, Roger? That's it. So when should you seek reconciliation? We've been talking about that. If you can overlook it, great. And what does reconciliation look like and how do you not take offense? Well, first and foremost, bathe the situation in prayer, especially before the interaction, if you can. Number two, don't let the sun go down in your anger. I don't know, it's hard sometimes if you're tired, but don't let the, don't let the sun go down in your anger. And if it takes time, take it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Again, it doesn't matter what you feel like. Work it out. That's scriptural. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Leaves a, a, an opening for the enemy to get in. And don't be offended. Don't offend, which is being a stumbling block for someone else. But certainly don't pick up the offense. You don't have to. Be a person that's not offended. You want to know why, and I talk about Matt a lot, um, but do you know why that he and I have this relationship that we do? 
and we can just get right to the topics and then we can dig in together because neither one of us get offended. And I'm not saying our wives aren't nervous about it, but we don't. We don't. We don't. We're not people that get offended. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful place to be. Try it. <laughs> the water's fine. <laughs> it is a sin to be offended or pick up the offense. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against the, the another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. We talked about overlooking trans, transgressions if you can. 1 Corinthians 1.5, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, thinks no, thinks no evil. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. See, we're taught to stuff it in the world. Guess what stuffing does? Keeps the record of wrongs. Because you stuff it, and this is a false piece, but eventually it's going to get poked, and it's going to come out, and it's going to come out worse than it was before. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> you choose to be offended or pick up the offense. Control your emotions. Don't let them control you. Remember the parts of man that we talked about, how you let the, the, the rudder of the ship guide the ship, and that's Romans 12 too. Be transformed every day, being in the word. If you're starting to feel offended, why not first slow down and get before the Lord first to see if there's something that needs to be corrected in you? Why not look at it as a way to learn and grow instead of being defensive? Ignore it. So here's the thing. So my dad, when I was growing up, he used to always tell this to me. It stuck with me. I, I passed it on to the kids because that's what we do, right? <laughs> um, but he would say, you know what? If somebody calls you a horse, ignore it. If two people call you a horse, maybe you should think about it. If three people call you a horse, buy a saddle. Okay? So why not, if you are looking around and you have people around you, that you're constantly in conflict with, the broken relationships, why not look at you? Maybe it's time to buy a saddle. Instead of being so defensive. <laughs> Giddy up. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. We cannot trust our emotions. You have to be transformed. I have to be transformed. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why it, it, it doesn't crack me up. It's sad, but when people are like, well, they're, they're a good person. They're basically a good person. I'm like, the heart is deceitful and we are wicked. Huh. Okay. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, 19b, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Christ, so here's how this works. Right? I would write this down, but thoughts, it's your thought life, right? Which is, which is why the, the Bible talks so much about keeping our thoughts in the right spot, taking captive of our thoughts, because the thoughts create feelings, 
which creates actions where you get your results. Thoughts create feelings, which create actions, which you get results. See, I'm not smart enough. This is why I don't like the action steps. I'm not smart enough or good enough to keep the steps when it comes time on Wednesday from whatever I heard on Sunday. Romans 7 is that cycle that we got to get off the hamster wheel. I've talked about that, right? Every time I try to do good, it's canceled out by the law of sin and death in my members. I cannot do this on my own. The only thing that frees me from that hamster wheel is the spirit of the law of life. Romans 8.1 or 8.2. The law of the spirit of life. It's got to go through our faculties to control our thoughts, and then it creates a domino effect. I can't look at it and go, you know what, here's my 10 steps to being a better husband, here's my 10 steps to be, no, just I'll be in the word every day because then I'm going to be transformed from the inside out. That will knock down every other domino in my life that, where I need to live out the fruit of the Spirit. Is this making sense? Thank you, four of you. I'm talking to you mostly, J.E. <laughs> Ephesians 4.26, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your wrath. For, uh, Ephesians 4.29, no no, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with malice. See, we're talking about being in control of our emotions. It's a sin to offend, and it's very, very difficult to be angry at someone that you keep blessing and praying for. It's hard sometimes, but try it. Bless that person, pray for them. It will change how you view that person. You do not want to let any bitterness, Matt talked about this several weeks ago, bitterness and the root that it can lay in your own life. Don't allow bitterness to take root. Ephesians 4.27, nor give place to the devil. This also starts the potential stuffing cycle that, that, you know, time doesn't heal. We've talked about that. Be slow to speak, listen, ask questions, be curious. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. James 1.19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to, slow to speak, slow to wrath. James 1.20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, if you are unwilling, and I really want you to get this, if you are unwilling to see or can't see something from someone else's perspective, then you're not ready for true reconciliation. But please don't misunderstand me. You can't use that as a reason to not reconcile. It just shows a deficiency in your understanding and your ability to achieve true reconciliation. You get that? It shows a deficiency in you. And why do I say that? What do you mean? I really have to look at it from the other perspective? And I know that's like, duh, it sounds logical anyway, but Jesus was the best example of this. He left his place seated at the right hand of the Father. He left his world just so that he could enter into mine for the sole purpose of taking me back into his. Why can't we do that in reconciliation? Try to understand where they're coming from so that we can enter into the, their world, bringing them back into ours. So, I use a yellow notepad. Some of you are smiling because you've seen me doing this in the church meetings at times. 
I use a yellow notepad. I ask what the concerns are. I ask what their, their, the, the issues are. And I listen and I write it down. And I use a notepad in tough conversations because it helps me being slow, slow to speak. So I get a yellow notepad. <clears throat> I write down the questions, the concerns, and then after that's done, I know it's like super, there's something in you that just wants to start talking. And then I ask, what else? And then they give me another concern. And I want to say something, and then I go, all right, what else? What else? What else? What else? Now, let me take you through this. When you ask all these questions, what are the concerns in the front of the meeting, people are going to feel like you care. Because all you're doing, you're not talking, you're letting them talk, and you're writing it all down. And you're also making sure that there's nothing else. That you can deal with everything. There's nothing that's left that's hidden. Bring it all out in the light. So I use a notepad. It helps me be, stay slow to speak. <clears throat> Ask questions. You know, it makes sense what you're saying, but what's gotten you maybe so upset? Or what, what, what is it that I've done that, that has gotten you so upset? Or, you know, um, so can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I really want to understand what it is that you're saying and, and, and just really kind of how you're thinking about this. Get good at asking questions. Because some people won't just come out and tell you what the issue is, and so you've got to ask questions to sometimes pull it out of them. And you do all this with a notepad and ask the questions. Listen, be polite. I'll say things like, with your permission, may I respond? I'm asking permission, but I'm also kind of saying it. With your permission, may I respond? And what do you think they say? Yeah. Be polite. Be kind. This is how you deal with conflict. Proverbs 22.4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. When pride comes, the, then comes shame, Proverbs 11, 2, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone proud, is heart, proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We're talking about being humble, being polite, asking questions, and resolving. If you come with your guns cocked and ready to fire when you're in a conflict or in your conversation, then you might as well not even bother. Some of you been there, right? <laughs> Don't shake. Don't answer on that one. Um, and after things are clear, apologize. We talked about apologies. I owe you an apology is not an apology. I've had so many people say, you know what? I owe you an apology. And then it's like, oh, okay, cool. Then we're done. It's like, that was your apology. That's not an apology. However, the word apology, it, I don't know, it's stupid. Um, but anyway, as I said, I'm sorry isn't even biblical in the context of re reconciliation. Um, I'm sorry I talked about this, is a feel of compassion for the situation. I'm sorry for your loss or I'm sorry for the situation, but it's a best at start. The intention may be there, but it's not what we discussed. I hope you can forgive me is not humbling of yourself. I'm sorry you were hurt by that. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you didn't like that. That's not humbling yourself. 
I know I'm getting real practical here, but like, are we okay? <laughs> it's getting less. That was one. <laughs> but what I would say, and remember too, reconciliation is biblical, and the example is I'm sorry for, fill in the blank. I realize that I've done that and I've wronged you. Will you forgive me? And how can I make that right? And I'm going to work so hard to change that in the future. And then change by being in his word. There are so many layers to conflict resolution and how to go about it. As I said, I'm very uh, sensitive to the how-to and the action steps. But I'm going to give you some, I think I have nine points. (laughs) Avoidance is, but you need to remember this, okay? Here are the points, but avoidance is not reconciliation, okay? Avoidance is not reconciliation. We must seek reconciliation. And times we, so how do I, there are some disclaimers. I can't cover all of these things. And if you want to get into it, Randy's even told me, she's like, you need to teach a workshop on how to. And it's like, well, I mean, in the youth, we get to a point where we barely get through a lot of things because they just fire questions at me. But it's, um, I don't know, maybe we do that in the future. I don't know. But, but, but I, I, there are a couple disclaimers that I would say. And so what, if the per, what about the person that got abused? What about the person, and, and maybe they're in jail. Maybe they've died. You can't reconcile, right? That's an issue between you and the Lord, and you've got you've to forgive. I'm sorry you can't go to the person, right? This is the sorry for the situation, but I'm sorry that you can't go to that person and actually reconcile. There are disclaimers to situations that can't reconcile, but I'm almost reluctant to give you these disclaimers because people grab a hold of those, and then they basically validate why they're not seeking reconciliation. But there are some times that you're not able to reconcile the way that I'm talking about. And um, someone that's passed away. Um, I know someone recently who, who lost a loved one and they hadn't talked to this person for four years. Now they're passed away and they're dealing with it harder than they were before. Well, but in that situation, that's why I'm telling you, go reconcile, right? <clears throat> And also, the third disclaimer that I would give you is the unbeliever. The unbeliever doesn't work in the same set of rules that I've been talking about. Unity of the faith, fellowship, all of that. You know what your, your sole purpose with the unbeliever is? Reconciling so that you can show them Christ. That's why you're reconciling for the unbeliever. But they're not. The unity of the faith, the fellowship, the unbeliever, like I said, they're playing by a different set of rules. Okay, So that maybe doesn't apply with all the things that I'm talking about here. <clears throat> So here are the action steps. Be in the word, number one. Be in the word, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and I. We also seek him for direction, okay? That's the first and foremost. You have to be in the word. 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 Number two, it's okay to have boundaries and probably should in some cases. Just because you reconcile, you know, people will say, Oh, oh, so I'm just supposed to, like, forgive and forget, huh? Is that it? No, I'm not saying that you forgive and forget. If my business partner steals from me, do I forgive him? Yes. Do I continue to do business with him? No. I'm not saying forgive and forget. That's only a biblical concept of how our sin is treated when we sin and the Lord has forgiven us. 
okay? There are consequences for how we treat others. <clears throat> so maybe there should be boundaries. Number three, it's okay to not have all the answers. I think I gave that example in some of these previous weeks that I've said, you know what? It's okay to say, I don't know, but ask them with your permission. Can I go study this on my own and then come back and we have another conversation about it? Can we do that? What do you think they say? Sure. Now, whether they follow through, that's a different matter, but you can always ask them you know, permission to go follow through and talk about it. <clears throat> Number four, ask questions. Become fantastic at asking questions. Always remain curious. You know why I, you know, I've said this to my kids, remain curious, ask questions. You know why I say remain curious? Because if you remain curious, it's unlikely that you're going to remain offended. Because curious means it takes it off of the pain, the hurt that you're feeling yourself, and you're actually looking at it like, I'm curious, you know, like, why did they do it? It wasn't, it wasn't me or it wasn't this or whatever, just you remain curious. And so when you're coming together of reconciliation, you're seeking answers to those questions about you being, why you were being so curious, right? <clears throat> Get great at asking questions, remain curious. Number five, be persistent. You keep trying to reconcile. Keep trying to reconcile. Keep trying to reconcile. It pains me to see that the divorce rate between Christians is no different than the world. We have to look different. Seek reconciliation. But you don't know. I get it. But you don't, but they didn't. I get it. But that's what Satan wants. You can't convince me, no matter what has happened in that situation, that the Lord doesn't want you to reconcile and have unity for your family. Don't validate something like that just because that's what everybody does now. And it's a whole lot more likely than it was in the 50s. So what? Be persistent. You keep trying to reconcile. Number six, when you do meet to reconcile, do not rush it or put a time on it. It's clear that reconciliation is biblical and the heart of God for his people. So why do you want to put limits on, on him for him to work in the situation? Don't put time limits on it. Let God work. Number seven, be a person who doesn't offend, as I mean the stumbling block, and doesn't pick up offenses. Don't pick up the fence. It's lame. You're like, oh, I know. <laughs> Right? It's so easy. You want to pick up the offense? Don't. Don't be a person that's so offended. Number seven. Be a, oh, that is it. Um, and number eight, pray and bless them. Praying for someone keeps your heart before the Lord and makes it harder to allow bitterness to creep in. And number nine, listen and be slow to speak. People do not care, and you've heard this the old adage, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Be slow to speak. Show them that you care. Cooler heads will prevail. The Lord desires reconciliation. But I'd be lying if I told you that it didn't take some work on your part. I've had to learn this over time because I get myself in a lot of confrontational conversations. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I have. I have learned this over the years and how I can, I, can, I can do that. 
And um, I'm telling you, people that have seen it, like that happened, it, it works. And I'm not saying you have to do it that way. I'm just saying that this is how you deal with conflict. We can't let the enemy divide us. We have to have unity of the faith. We have to desire fellowship. Does this make sense? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just humbly and graciously approach your throne. We sit at your feet and ask you to change us from the inside out so that we will know that conflict happens because of our fallen flesh, because ego and emotions and all these things get involved. Lord, we're, we're so sorry for that. We ask that you would forgive us so that the communication even with you, Lord, is then restored. And I know that's why I ask you to forgive me. I already know you've forgiven me. But I ask for your forgiveness when I sin against you so it restores the communication that I have with the Father. And Lord, I pray that as we sit at your feet that you would teach us how to deal with conflict. That you would put in us a burning desire, a passion for not allowing dissension and division. For not allowing the enemy to break us apart. That you would put the desire in us to run together sharpening each other, growing in the unity of the faith. Until that day that we can stand face to face with you and you look at us and say, well done. You ran the race, you fought hard, it wasn't easy, but you did it. We have an enemy and we're a lot stronger as we're united. And you knew that when you wrote your word. I'm thankful for your word. So Lord, as we go out, and I know some of us, we're going to fail this afternoon. Darn it, we just heard this this morning. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't give up the fight. You would continue to teach us that this is a process. You're not a genie, but you do want sanctification and holiness. So Lord, please continue to work in us, changing our hearts and mending the broken relationships that are around us now and the relationships that could be on the chopping block in the future that the enemy would try to disrupt and dismantle. We give it all to you. We give our lives to you. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you and the things that I'm talking about is just completely foreign, I pray that you would stir their hearts right where they're at, that you would make them so uncomfortable, disturbed, they would not be able to leave this place without seeking out someone here and that they can know the saving Lord Jesus who died on the cross for our sins like, like I do. Lord, you say in your word that the wages of sin is death and that we all have fallen short. That my life was destined to an eternal place called hell until you took my place and I accepted that free gift and give you my life. And I pray that people here, if they don't know you, they would today. So Lord, be with us as we live out to the rest of this day and this week. Thank you for this church body. Thank you for the people that are traveling, that you would bring them home because they are part of our family and we love them all dearly. And thank you for everyone here. In your name we pray, amen.